This program is sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries. This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us. And I'm going to begin by reading from a recent news article. So the state of Louisiana recently enacted an anti-porn law that required users to verify their ages through government-issued IDs. And now a group has come along made up of adult entertainment and others who simply enjoy porn, and they filed a federal lawsuit to block this anti-porn law in Louisiana. And I'm going to read you from one woman, and this is this is from the article. Her name is Elizabeth Henson, a 38-year-old military wife. And she's already being hailed, as they say in this article. This is Slate, is a hero by the feminists. And, and so what she says is, and they ask her, what makes porn an important part of your relationship? She says, you can use it kind of like a date night, like you would movies. You need that sort of intimacy. It's a way to bring back into the relationship despite the distance from one another. Being able to share that intimate moment can really be satisfying. It's good for your mental health and for keeping that part of your marriage alive. I know lots of people, both active duty military and military spouses, who use porn, and I don't think it's uncommon. I'm not the only military spouse that gets separated from her spouse. And imagine being out at sea for three months. Porn helps. Let's just put it that way. You're alone. They're alone. Everybody needs to blow off some steam. And porn makes a big difference. And then she says, um, this isn't new. Porn goes back thousands of years. So it's not like we're just becoming sexualized now because the Internet exists. There's always been porn, and kids used to hide Hustler under their beds from their parents. They always found ways to get it if they were interested, so the idea that somehow a kid's not going to continue to find a way around this law seems ridiculous. I don't think I'm saying anything that is unusual for other adults either. It's a pretty common scenario that people use porn both alone and or together in their marriage. Even when you're married, sometimes you just need some me time and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I don't have a problem saying that in public. And today we welcome back Tim Peterson. He is pastor, counselor, missionary to Uganda, husband, father, and he leads our men's ministry, our men's eight-week courses, counsels, so, Tim, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Great to be here, Mike. So, as I've read this, what is your take? Is porn good for a marriage? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I 
I think even reading your writings, but in the many, many men that I've talked with and the wives that I've talked with, when things are built around the sexual and the sexual only uh, in a relationship, there are two people that are starving on the inside and they don't know that they're starving, but they get, uh, they have a feast on something that really won't feed them. Um, and so even though the porn might lead into the sexual act, both people go away more lonely and more defeated in themselves. And I think the people that have been doing it for many, many years don't even recognize it, that they're getting more emaciated in their relationship with their spouse and maybe even their relationship with other people. It's not the way that God designed it. And then there's also the spiritual aspect behind that, because what spirit is behind pornography? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's quite a bit of uh, very public information that a lot of pornography has been offered straight to Satan and dedicated to Satan even before it is produced. And not to mention those people that have been in the midst of the industry recognize how twisted and sick and um, demonic it is in the in the that whole scenario of creating it so really some of this just comes down to raw deception and that deception is not just in the outside world where i've heard that christian men have said that ah i'm just looking at porn once a month what's the big deal what's your take on that well i i've actually described it like taking a drop of mercury once a month I mean, isn't that okay? Or sucking on lead once a month? Wouldn't that be all right? We we look at it in terms of the scientific and say, no, that's ridiculous. You're going to get cancer. You're going to die from that. And yet we don't understand that when we're feeding on anything that Satan is, is doing to twist what God designed, um, it, it is going to decay inside of us like cancer, and we don't know it until we cave in completely and realize, wow, I'm, I'm just walking, I'm a walking dead person. I don't have relation, no deep relationships. I'm empty. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm anxious, I'm, um, whatever, and I can't have relationship because I'm afraid of them. Um, so you add all these things up together and you say, are you really feeling healthy in your life? Are you uh, having abundant life that God promises us through Christ? Um, If not, if we can really be honest with ourselves, even as we talked about last week, if we can stop long enough to even take an evaluation, inner evaluation of ourselves, do I feel like I have life? And am I moving in that direction where I'm having more life, or am I um, starving for life? I hadn't heard that that you mentioned before about 
pornography being offered to Satan, but of course that makes complete sense because it's a satanic product. So is that something you're saying covens are doing or people themselves that are creating it are doing? Um, I, I've been told by people that are in the industry that it's actually, they're going through a ritual as the thing is being produced or at the end of the production and it's being dedicated to Satan. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, and I've, one source I heard that there, that was a, a good majority of what goes out. Um, so that that's what I'm understanding. I'm basing it on what I've heard from those people that were in the industry and had gotten out. Mm-hmm. And so when the church has upwards of three-quarters of the men viewing pornography, inviting this satanic doorway into their life and their home and their marriage, and with women it's growing fast, and with teens it's pegging at the 100% number, why are we not warning people with this and challenging them and offering help Sunday mornings at church? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I think part of the reason is that we um, that we have the de- same deception that oh, it's that's just what people are doing. It's not a big deal. That's between that's kind of their own issue in in the dark. Um, I don't really know why churches don't want to address it. Um, the question that you and I have talked about is when we find out how many leaders, church leaders, are involved in that, um, that makes it a little bit more understandable why we don't want to address it, because then I have to deal with it in my own life mm-hmm. as a church leader. And and I've tried, and I haven't found any help, um, but who knows? I really don't know why we don't address it in the church, other than than we are buying into Satan's deception. Part of my guess is that there's a stronghold at the top because the enemy does not want his captives being set free. And you used the term last week where you used the word fuzzy nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I, we've been here three years, been to quite a few, you know, churches that we visited and sometimes that those words fuzzy nice fit where there's just feels like there's too much of an emphasis on keeping people comfortable and not wanting anybody squirming and talking about things like sex or masturbation or pornography that are so many are mired in so what is your take on the fuzzy nice well, you know our society that um, the the selling points are I'm going to make you happy. Mm. So marketing is about I'm going to make you happy, and I think we can see just even in the the movement of church people from church to church. Um, why did you leave that last church? Well, I didn't like the worship. I didn't like the preaching. I didn't. Nobody was nice to me. Nobody talked to me. Um, and 
And so we are, we are centering our lives around, am I happy? Do I feel good? If I don't feel good, then I have to get out of this situation. And I don't see any place in Scripture that feeling good is the most important thing. In fact, often we're talked about, Scripture talks about suffering as being the thing that leads us into God and into a, a dependence and a love for Him. If we're really saying, God, I need help in this suffering, will you take me in? So when we encounter it, in a truthful sermon that isn't out to beat people up, but is is there to speak the truth, the whole truth, God's truth, then that includes, wow, there are sins. And it's not just sexual sin, it's also gossip. It's also pride. It's, it's judging the people around us. Um, those are all sins that need to be talked about, but often those are the ones that are missing. Mm. And, and so when people start hearing them, they say, well, I don't want to hear this. This is, this is hitting home. I'm going to go to another church. Well, if the leaders are seeing that people are leaving and they start finding out why, that's a bad thing. We need more people in the church. So we better stop preaching about these things. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus never chased the lukewarm. Mm. And then in John chapter 6, when the crowds got big, he thinned them out. He started talking about eating his blood and drink, I mean, drinking his blood and eating his flesh, which is an allegory for the cross and salvation, Mm. but... And but then it says many of my disciples, many of his disciples stopped walking with him, and mm-hmm. so does does part of this go back to we're after depth, not um, width, or being shallow? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Just the follow following that passage through, he turned to his disciples and said, "Do you want to leave too?" And they said, "Where else will we go?" You're the only one that has the words of life. And I think that's really the question. What do we want? What are we looking for? What is the pursuit of our lives? Are we looking for abundant life? Or are we just looking to make sure we don't have pain and we maintain through our lives? And that's a sad existence. And, and so then, I mean, I think we, we have to say, God, what can fill my soul? What can fill the depth of my heart? And it's only God's love in that that can meet the needs that I think I have. And now we come back to prayer and connection with God, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and now when you ask that question, that, <laughs> that's where I was going to go. Uh, the, the time, the prayer, the, the heart pursuit with God to say, God, I can't go anywhere else but you. 
I've had some struggles recently and I've been at a place where I say, okay, I, I had to say, God, I'm, I'm at the end of myself and this is a good thing. It doesn't feel like a good thing, but I know it's a good thing because that drives me back to you. It creates even more dependence on you, which is exactly what you desire because you're the only one that can fill up my needs, the depth of my heart. So coming back to what we talked about last week, if, if we take that time alone with him and really allow him to reset our thoughts, our distractions, and put it all on him, and to say, God, I, I need you to be the only center that I have, not multiple centers. I need you to be the only center. And that's a hard thing when we we have a hard time even stopping ourselves for five minutes and being silent. Mm-hmm. But as you said at the end of last week, perseverance is a huge thing. Um, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep coming back to this. I, I want to keep pursuing God with everything that I am. Amen. And um, in the context we've been talking about with pornography and how it destroys lives, and the wife often gets left out of this conversation, and it is deeply painful and traumatic for them, and and they have a long road to recovery. A lot of people think, well, this just you should just get over this. Well, that's this is very painful to them. Mm-hmm. S- speak to what the wife's healing looks like, what the wife's inner journey with the Lord can look like, how she copes. I think this is a it's a probably most confusing thing for the wives. In, in recovery, um, men are trying to figure out what to do with life without porn, without lust, those types of things. That's very new to them. But for the wives, there's pain involved. Well, they've experienced pain in their life. That's not a good thing. And so often when the wives have, have experienced pain, I think the enemy offers us, well, just protect yourself. And so I've got to stay away from anything having to do with my husband. And if he gets close, I react in anger. Um, I know this isn't all the way across the board, but it's it's pretty um, standard for wives to just react in anger. And they say, okay, as long as I can begin to trust then I will um, maybe stop being so angry, maybe begin to move toward a relationship, rebuilding a relationship. Um, And yet sometimes I think the wives are saying, I've got to stay in this protected place and make sure that there are no threats outside of this wall before I step outside the, the gates of the wall. And that's a really hard thing because um, your husband will make mistakes. They will. They will absolutely make mistakes. And and so the hard thing is to say, 
God, how do I trust you with my walls and trust you with stepping outside the gates? Maybe God is saying right now, stay behind the gates, but pursue me so that you can hear my voice when I say, now it's time to go. And there are times when moving toward your husband is actually the very thing that will break the bonds for both of you. But that has to be guided by God, because if God's saying, no, your husband isn't ready yet, and you are not ready yet, then it has to be relying on that relationship with God. And there we are back to prayer and spending time with God Mm. um, for the wives. And and that pain, I think, has to be walked in community also, because it's very easy to try to discern that protect self protection as God's um, God given self protection when having other people outside speaking into that and saying, "Okay, so where where are you getting that information?" Well, I. I had that sense three years ago when this whole thing came up that I was supposed to stay behind the walls, but maybe God has called you out now in a, in a new day, in a, in a new season. And so um, it, it, I think it needs to be in relationships with other women to, to bring some, um, some clarity and some wisdom that comes outside of ourselves. Mm. We talked last week about um, how in our intake forms, we ask a question, when is the last time you had an hour alone with the Lord? And how with men, maybe 90% of the answer is never, or um, it's been a long time. What I do notice is that with women, it's radically different where maybe two-thirds of them will say, yesterday or often or all the time. So what has happened in the church that the women are more involved in prayer and the men seem to be disconnected when that's such a critical part of the Christian life? Mm. I think that's God, God given from the very beginning that um, the women more naturally tend to open themselves up to the Spirit's movement and um, the men are often caught up in, well, I've just got to get things done. And, and so I, I, I believe it's God-given, and, and I think when the, the women are able to and willing to receive that more and more um, and gently give it to their husband, encourage their husbands into that place without being critical, that any movement in that direction is great. Let's trumpet it and say, wow, thanks for even thinking to pray um, together with us or or whatever it is. I think that gives um, some great movement in the relationship. Well, Tim, 45 seconds. Anything you want to say? Um, persevere, I think, is the biggest word that comes to mind just off the, off the cuff. That persevering in those paths toward God 
and not stopping, just continuing. Mm. Yeah, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he will, has been approved to be given the crown of life, or is it the crown of righteousness? <laughs> I forget. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for joining us, my friends. And it's been a blessing to have you along, Tim. Thank you very much, Mike. Really enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.